Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode number 202 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I need to say thanks to some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Sylvia Ponce de Leon and Sammy Lafrazia. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. And that's Patreon up to date as of Wednesday the 28th of June. It's pretty wild to be caught up on Patreon. I quite like it. Obviously, if you've signed up since then, your name will be on next week's episode. But uh, yeah, pretty happy with being caught up. Thank you so much. To everyone who subscribes to the Patreon, I love you and appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week, our film review is Pearl. Pearl was released in 2022. It is 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. In 1918, a young woman on the brink of madness pursues stardom in a desperate attempt to escape the drudgery, isolation and lovelessness of life on her parents' farm. Trapped on her family's isolated farm, Pearl must tend to her ailing father under the bitter and overbearing watch of her devout mother. Lusting for a glamorous life like she's seen in the movies, Pearl finds her ambitions, temptations and repressions all colliding in this origin story of X's iconic villain. So a couple of months ago I reviewed the film X which was about a group of young people making a porn film on an isolated farm. It's a slasher, everything goes wrong, lots of murder, etc, etc. I believe that film was shot in New Zealand and the minute they finished filming they decided to make the uh, prequel to X which is Pearl and Mia Goth was in New Zealand. She stayed, the director stayed, the crew stayed and they filmed Pearl straight away afterwards. And as always let's do the likes and dislikes for this film. So likes first. Obviously I love Mia Goth and I have said before that I'm not quite sure whether I want to be her, whether I fancy her or whether it is a combination of both and I suspect it is a combination of both and she is just wonderful in this film. Two things that really captured my soul in this film is she does a monologue towards the end of the film which is like seven minutes long and I think it was done in like two takes and it's just it's a beautiful monologue and also her during the end credits, I'm not going to say any more than that, but was incredibly heartbreaking and unsettling. And she is just brilliant. I loved the setting of this story. So it's set in Texas in 1918. I think it's Spanish flu is rife. And then the men, like a lot of the men are gone to war. And it's a really interesting context for the story because for the people in Texas, like life is continuing as normal. And you have this backdrop of 
being, you know, everybody's frightened of sickness. Everybody's frightened of the man with the telegram coming to tell them that their loved ones have died. There's so much scary shit going on in the world and yet everybody is sort of expected to continue as normal, which is exactly what does happen when bad things happen in the world. At some point, people need to continue living as normal and it's just a really interesting context. And as well as that, from a societal perspective, like you're looking at characters who are sort of expected to fit into very traditional gender roles within society and anything outside of that is considered abnormal. And Pearl herself as a character is so good. She is complex. She is naive. And I kind of was simultaneously repulsed by her, but I also wanted to like look after her, which is I think is a pretty difficult thing to achieve because she is the villain of this piece. But yet you want to mind her and look after her and like sort her out and kind of let her break free from this life that she's living in. She's a really complex kind of developed villain, I thought. And despite all the shitty things that she does, I kind of still wanted her to succeed. Like I wanted things to work out for her. Strangely, there were also things about her that resonated with me. And I don't really know what that says about me. You know, there was a moment where she is having a verbal altercation with somebody and she just says, I feel things very deeply. And I was like, Pearl, I feel that, babe. I feel that. But does that mean that I'm going to go and murder people? And does that mean I'm sexually attracted to scarecrows? Probably not on both counts. Well, let's hope not on both counts. There are also really nice links to X. So the physical location is the same because obviously they filmed it in the same place and there are scenes with the alligator that link to the film X. And I I really kind of appreciated that they did make nods to X the whole way through. And I just, the whole film is deeply uncomfortable and very, very well done. And I do think that if you liked X, you will like this film. I guess in the dislikes column that I wrote that I would argue that rather than this film being a horror film as such, it's more of a psychological thriller. And you are just watching the demise of a woman as she tries to kind of explore her sense of self and the darkness that lives within her. But if that sounds like it's up your street, then this film is well worth a watch. Like Mia Goth's performance is believable and brilliant. And there are like big shocking moments in the film, but there's also quiet moments in the film that are deeply uncomfortable. Like there are numerous moments with Mia Goth in the bath that are very uncomfortable. There are conversations that she has that are uncomfortable. So I think that even though it's not necessarily a horror film as such, I mean, it is a slasher, but it's just a psychological thriller and it's a real kind of character exploration. And if that's your vibe, then this film is for you. And in regards to dislikes, like I wrote that in the dislike column, but it's not really a dislike. It's just a point of observation, I think. There is a scene in the film that I really disliked. I've referenced it already. Uh, It is the scene with the scarecrow. I don't want to say too much about it, but it was really absurd. I kind of watched it through my fingers and I know that was probably what what they intended people to do. They probably wanted people to feel deeply uncomfortable, but I just don't feel like it added anything to the film. And I think it was sort of like wedged in to make it clear that she was a very mentally unwell woman. But it did feel shoehorned in. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what was going on. I, I felt deeply uncomfortable. I was alarmed. I I, I I was watching through my fingers. I thought to myself, there's no way she's going to... Oh, and then she did. Then she did, listeners. She absolutely did. 
I feel like if you are somebody who either loves or hates scarecrows, then this scene will evoke some very strong reactions from you. I think that's me kind of just being nitpicky and picking out a particular scene and being like, I didn't like that scene. As a whole, did I think the film was really good? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. She's a great character. And I think it's tough to create a villain who fundamentally you kind of love to watch and you want to succeed. So that's a pretty, pretty nuanced thing to be able to create effectively. I'm going to give this film four out of five. I was into it. I enjoyed it. And I enjoy the fact that Mia Goth is part of the No Eyebrows Club too. It makes me feel slightly better about myself. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we dive into this week's story, I just want to let you know that there will be no main episode next week. So next Sunday, which I think is the 9th, if I am correct, there will be no main episode, but there will be a mini episode instead. The reason is that I am performing in a run of a theatre show this week. So it's going to be a pretty crazy week with tech dress rehearsals and doing the run of the show so I have decided that instead of doing a main episode I'll just do a mini episode to make life kind of slightly easier for myself this week and the following week the main episode will be back as normal. Now as we looked at last week the Pendle Witches and this week we've looked at a strong female character albeit a an unhinged female character I have had the story of Baba Yaga on my list for ages for I think about a year now she has been on my list to do a story on her so I thought let's continue the theme of strong female characters who are slightly unhinged and we'll continue with a bit of a folkloric theme for this week and we are going to deep dive into the story of Baba Yaga and then we're going to look at another story of a strong female character after that so let's get into it. If I asked you to imagine a witch what would you see? An old woman dressed in rags, long black robes, a large hooked nose, green skin, a broomstick and a cauldron, crystals and potions. Witches have existed in various forms for hundreds if not thousands of years. Spanning different cultures and continents, the figure of a witch has shifted to represent communal healers, to vilified monsters, to modern day Instagram influencers. Arguably, one thing that links many representations of witches is that the word witch becomes synonymous with maligned women who live on the outskirts of society. Sometimes these women are sought after for their wisdom and command over the natural world. 
Sometimes they are hanged and burned for their supposed beliefs. Other times, like in our story today, they become a mythical bogeyman of their own fables and tales. The figure of the witch has always had her place in literature and folklore. From ancient Greek mythology to Shakespeare, the character of the witch has often been a character of devilry, mischief and evil. She is a trickster, a shapeshifter, a force for change. Deep in the forests of Slavic folklore lives one such witch, Baba Yaga. If you happen to walk into these dark forests of Eastern and Southeastern Europe, you may be unfortunate enough to stumble into her path. Baba Yaga roughly translated as Grandmother Witch, although this is challenged by scholars who can't agree on one definitive translation, was first mentioned in a book on Russian grammar in 1755. Although this was her first appearance in a written text, Baba Yaga is thought to have existed much earlier in the oral traditions of storytelling. Her stories often involve children, Sometimes in darker stories, they are her chosen food. In others, they are the heroes, aided by Baba Yaga's cruel wisdom. These children-centred stories often end in morals which praise the power of hard work, obedience and conformity. Within these stories, Baba Yaga is not always seen as the stock figure of an evil witch, but rather a powerful and potentially dangerous source of wisdom. She retains a menacing air, a fairy godmother, with a decisively sinister twist. Whilst many of Baba Yaga's stories emulate the plots and characters of stories like Cinderella, Baba Yaga is the absolute antithesis of the gracefully beautiful and kind fairy godmothers of the Disney movies. Baba Yaga is, to all intents and purposes, ugly. She is often depicted as an enormous wrinkled old woman with a huge hooked nose with a body so big she is sometimes shown as reclining in the entire length of her hut. Sometimes her nose is so large that it spans from floor to ceiling. She is supernatural in a way other fairy godmothers or fairy tale witches are not. She is grotesque, otherworldly and almost beyond human. In some stories, she even accompanies death on his travels, devouring newly released souls. Her hut, too, is a sight to behold. Like other fairy tales, her wooden house sits in the depths of the forests of Slavic Europe, but I don't remember many fairy tales where houses were built atop humongous, scaled and clawed chicken legs and could walk on command. This, alongside the giant mortar and pestle that she rides through the sky allows Baba Yaga to travel great distances and shapeshift through the woods and forests in which she resides. Baba Yaga also commands a flock of black geese that scour the skies searching for, some say, her favourite food. Children. One such child, Basilisa, is one of the lucky ones. Rather than becoming a meal on Baba Yaga's table, Basilisa is helped by the witch and becomes the hero of her own story. First published in the late 1800s, Vasilisa the Beautiful is perhaps Baba Yaga's most famous appearance in Slavic folklore. 
It's important to mention that the following retelling of this story may differ in parts to others, as is the case with many renditions of classical folk tales, which found their beginning lines as oral stories. While some details may differ between retellings, the main body of the story and the depiction and the role of Baba Yaga remains the same. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful little girl called Vasilisa, who lived happily with her father and mother in a house on the edge of a great forest. One day when she was eight years old, Vasilisa's mother fell ill and called her daughter to her bedside. Knowing she was going to die, Vasilisa's mother gave her daughter a magical doll. She tells Vasilisa that this doll will help her through life, but only if she keeps it with her at all times and keeps it a secret from everyone around her. If Vasilisa wants help from the doll, she must offer it food and drink in return for aid. Sometime after her mother's death, Vasilisa's father remarried a woman with two daughters of a similar age. Vasilisa's stepmother was deeply envious of her beauty and subsequently made her life hell, giving Vasilisa harsh and impossible tasks and continuously scolding her with cruel words. Vasilisa was only able to complete these tasks with the help of the magical doll, which she had managed to keep a secret from her fiendish stepmother and stepsisters. Vasilisa's father, constantly away from home on business trips, does nothing to help his struggling young daughter. When Vasilisa reached womanhood, she began to receive suitors for marriage. Eligible men from miles around wished to marry the quiet, beautiful young woman. Again riddled with jealousy, Vasilisa's stepmother refused all of her suitors, saying that Vasilisa could not marry until her stepsisters had found husbands of their own. In an attempt to get rid of Vasilisa once and for all, Vasilisa's stepmother sent her on an errand into the woods. She asked Vasilisa to go to the hut deep in the forest and ask the old woman who lives there for fire. As Vasilisa entered the forest, three riders on horseback raced past her, one white, one red and one black. Immediately time passed, with each horse bringing twilight, sunrise and nightfall respectively as they passed her. Thus, Vasilisa arrived at the woodland hut at nightfall. Walking up to the hut, Vasilisa was struck with terror. Surrounding the hut was a wall of human bones topped with skulls. The gate in the wall had hinges made from the bones of human feet and locks of jaw bones set with sharp teeth. Vasilisa froze in horror at the sight. It was too late. From within the hut emerged the monstrous sight of Baba Yaga demanding to know why Vasilisa had disturbed her. Upon hearing Vasilisa's story and request for fire, Baba Yaga agreed to help her in return for work. Like her stepmother, Baba Yaga set Vasilisa impossible tasks, but again she was able to complete them with the help of her magical doll. Vasilisa remained with Baba Yaga as her servant for some time, but grew more curious about the old witch as each day passed. Baba Yaga scolded her, saying she asked too many questions and that not every question leads to good. 
Eventually, Baba Yaga asked Vasilisa how she managed to complete the impossible tasks she had set her, to which Vasilisa replied, By my mother's blessing. Furious that any other kind of blessing or magic should be present in her house, Baba Yaga sent Vasilisa home, first giving her a lantern made from a human skull to provide her the fire asked for by her stepmother. Upon entering her family home, the skull lantern immediately burned Vasilisa's stepmother and stepsisters to ashes. Vasilisa left the house, taking her doll with her. She became a seamstress and with the help of the magical doll, so impressed the king that he fell in love with her and they married, ultimately living happily ever after. So what kind of creature is Baba Yaga? Sure, she lives in a creepy house with some pretty bizarre and ghoulish garden decor, but is she evil? She chooses to use her magic to help Vasilisa, when she could certainly kill her with the blink of an eye. Baba Yaga's methods are undoubtedly cruel. She, like the stepmother, employs Vasilisa in laborious tasks and finally uses her magic to destroy her stepmother and stepsisters. But she is essentially kind to Vasilisa, choosing to help good triumph over evil. Admittedly, this is one of the stories in which Baba Yaga is not murdering and eating children, but it's arguably the most famous. Like I said previously, she isn't often portrayed as a two-dimensional evil villain. She represents a kind of magic which sits on a knife edge, as much chance to do harm as it could do good. This type of magical figure, sometimes known as the trickster, appears in the mythology of different cultures all around the world. Mythologies as we know them now were once understood as genuine beliefs and still are for some people. Within these belief systems, the trickster is or was recognised as a god or an emanation of a supreme deity. Conventionally, tricksters interfered in the lives of other deities, humans and the natural world. They encouraged and prompted transformation, often providing no reason at all for their chaotic behaviour. Baba Yaga is only one example of a trickster. Others include Persephone in ancient Greek mythology, Coyote in Native American belief systems, Esu in the Yoruba religion of West Africa, and the Eye of Ra in ancient Egyptian religions. One of the most famous tricksters is Loki of Norse mythology. Loki repeatedly antagonizes the gods of Asgard, but is also directly responsible for a number of their most prized magical items including Thor's hammer and Odin's spear. Like Loki, Baba Yaga is sometimes presented as a necessary evil, as someone who can produce good or important things from their chaotic ways. Psychiatrist Carl Jung said that the archetype of the trickster is a manifestation of the shadow, a dark and unknown aspect of the individual. Perhaps Baba Yaga is often villainized because she represents the darker parts of ourselves which we would rather forget or hide. Most of us know Loki from his portrayal by Tom Hiddleston in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe you too might recognize Baba Yaga's influence and reappearance in popular culture. Perhaps most famously, Miyazaki based the bathhouse proprietor Yubaba on Baba Yaga in his 2001 movie Spirited Away. In the John Wick franchise, John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, is known as Baba Yaga by his enemies, as he is portrayed as some kind of dangerous, magical and mysterious figure. 
Some historians and academics argue that Baba Yaga is a sort of Mother Earth figure. Some say she is the actual personification of nature, sometimes kind and forgiving, and at other times cruel and deadly. It's these reasons, along with the fact that in all depictions, Baba Yaga exists outside of the norms of society and lives by her own rules, that she is often considered a figure of female empowerment and emancipation. She is powerful and enacts great change to the world around her, even though she is not conventionally feminine or attractive. Indeed, some consider Baba Yaga to be the most feminist figure in folklore. So we're going to stop there before we get to our second story today. And uh, Baba Yaga is a bit of a legend. I'm not really sure what I expected the folklore about Baba Yaga to be. But I, I don't know if I was going to be as enamoured by her. I think she's great. And I would like to point out that life has been a bit overwhelming lately. So I have employed the help of a wonderful researcher named Heidi. Who messaged me during this and said... There's a bit in the research that says, quote, often providing no reason at all for their chaotic behaviour, unquote. And I was like, oh, Emma, that's you. And initially, I was sceptical about being compared to Baba Yaga. But now, I'm here for it. If Baba Yaga, the B Yags, does not need to provide a reason for her chaotic behaviour, then nor do I. I love hearing this type of folklore from other countries because it always seems so far removed from like the folklore of Ireland. But really, realistically, underneath it all, it isn't that far removed from folklore from all over the world because fundamentally folklore is there to teach us things. And in the instance of Baba Yaga, it looks like, you know, it's obedience and working hard and making good decisions and really the story of Vasilisa, which I hope I'm pronouncing right, I think I am, sounds like the story of Cinderella, except with more skulls. And even though we know that the original grim fairy tales were exactly as they said on the tin, they were pretty grim. This story of Baba Yaga, you know, is more brutal than the Cinderella that we now recognise. And there is a part of me that kind of wants to be the bee yags. Like, she is this woman who does not care about beauty standards who lives away in a little hut in the forest a hut that is set atop giant scaly chicken legs that can walk around the forest so you could move location somebody finds you you're like oh I'm not doing this come on house stand up and walk away through the forest be great you just live on your own in the wilderness completely at one with who you are and what you look like and all that jazz and then every so often a wandering traveller or a wandering peasant or a wandering maligned young woman comes wandering into your path and you either murder them or teach them a lesson. Either way, I'm here for it. I've actually never seen the John Wick films either. And I know I should watch them and I at some point will watch them because I think Keanu Reeves is a lovely man. But if I ever enter into the depths of the criminal underworld, can somebody please try and make the nickname Baba Yaga stick for me? Because I would love that to be my nickname. And while, of course, Baba Yaga is a terrifying witch woman who lives in a house that has long, scaly chicken legs that walks around the forest, you can imagine that I struggled to find any real-life encounters with Baba Yaga. And it seems that Baba Yaga is a folk tale that is designed to scare children and perhaps give children moral lessons. But I very much enjoyed reading about her. 
And as this is a more folkloric episode, I thought, oh, Baba Yaga is a bit short just for one episode. So I thought I went back to my list of episode suggestions and I thought, what can I link to Baba Yaga? And I realised that the wonderful world of Mother Shipton could link to Baba Yaga. Now, this story comes from the wonderful Brent Swanser, my old pal, who wrote this for Mysterious Universe in January 2021. And obviously, as always with all these stories, the links to all of the sources are in the description of this episode. So let's dive into the story of Mother Shipton. Throughout history, there have been people who have become so larger than life and so imbued with incredible stories that they transcend the status of mere human being and propel themselves into the annals of myth and legend. Such mysterious figures are steeped in amazing tales and myths to the point that it is very difficult to tell where reality ends and legend begins, leaving them lodged within the realms of true enigmas. One such figure was a woman who lived in 15th century England who was supposedly endowed with potent magical powers and who would become a powerful soothsayer who has continued to defy understanding and indeed attempts to figure out if she was ever even real at all. From her very birth, the story of the woman called Mother Shipton has been steeped in so much myth and legend that it is often hard to disentangle fact from fiction. According to the tales, she was supposedly brought into the world in a cave in the forest of Narsborough in North Yorkshire, England in 1488, to her teenage mother Agatha under the name Ursula Santile. During a violent thunderstorm that mysteriously stopped, as she let out not a cry, but a cackle. She was, by all accounts, not a beautiful child, with a hideous hooked nose, bulging eyes, crooked legs and a hunchback, so deformed and ugly that she elicited gasps from those who saw her and spurred rumours that her father had been the devil. Indeed, she would never reveal who her father was and refused to divulge his name, leaving it a curious mystery. It was partly due to her hideous visage and the rumours that she was the spawn of the devil, a witch or both, that Ursula was relentlessly bullied at school in her childhood. However, it was at that time that she would supposedly develop her psychic powers, gaining the ability to, quote, pull their hair, pinch them and throw them to the ground without being near them. She also once allegedly pushed a man down to clamp a toilet seat on his neck with merely the power of her mind and also replaced another's hat with a chamber pot. On another occasion she was berated for her ugliness and caused horns to grow from the man's head. Incidents like these and many more like them made people afraid of her and although the bullying stopped it was replaced by fear. With the girl and her mother ostracised and treated as pariahs, not helped by the fact that they lived in the cave where Ursula had been born, the two of them mysterious recluses. This cave had all sorts of rumours whispered about it by frightened locals, such as that it was protected by dark magic and that it contained a pool which could turn anything to stone and a well that could grant wishes, further perpetuating the mystical myths surrounding Agatha and Ursula. Ursula spent most of her childhood scorned by the larger populace. 
instead spending most of her time in the woods collecting herbs and medicinal plants with which to make various remedies and potions, as well as honing her considerable psychic powers. Agatha would later go off to live at the convent of the Order of St. Bridget in Nottinghamshire, leaving Ursula to live with a foster family and never seeing her again. During these years, she experienced a somewhat normal life, with not much of import seeming to have happened during this time. It is said that she was known for mostly preparing herbal concoctions for all manner of ailments for the villagers or casting spells. Yet she would again be propelled into the spotlight in her adult years and her legend would rapidly grow. At the age of 24, Ursula married a local carpenter by the name of Toby Shipton, who she was said to have seduced with a magical spell because it was thought that she was far too deformed and ugly to ever find a husband normally. Sadly, he died just a few years later, after which she became an eccentric widow telling fortunes, casting spells or divining the location of stolen or lost items. And it was around this time that she would begin to be called Mother Shipton and display what was to come to be her greatest power, that of the ability to see and predict the future. She began having visions and giving prophecies, starting small with local events, but this soon expanded to predicting world events. She would predict wars, natural disasters, uprisings, political shifts or upheavals, and many others, soon getting a reputation for being so uncannily accurate that her fame grew. People began to pour into her village, seeking her out for insights into the future, and as her name became known far and wide, she began making many grand, spectacular predictions about the world, always writing them in a poetic, rhyming couplet. Some of her more remarkable predictions that supposedly would later come to pass were the death of Cardinal Thomas Wolsey in 1530, the English Civil War in the mid-1600s, Oliver Cromwell's rise to power, the restoration of the monarchy, the Black Death of 1665, the Great Fire of 1666, the rise of Queen Elizabeth and her reign, the death of Mary Queen of Scots, the reign of King James I, King Henry VIII seizing power from the Catholic Church and his creation of the Church of England, and countless wars, storms, disasters and catastrophes among others. She is said to have even predicted the advent of modern technologies such as cars, airplanes, the telegraph, radio, steamships and even computers and the internet. On top of all this, she even predicted her own death in 1531. One of the more infamous of her supposed predictions was that the world would end in 1881, which at the time caused mass hysteria, but proved to be a false prediction made up by a publisher named Charles Hindley, who slipped the hoax into a reprint of one of the earlier 17th century publications of Mother Shipton's prophecies. Yet, so powerful was the belief that Shipton was always right that many truly believed that the apocalypse was upon them at the time. We are left to ask just how accurate and powerful was she really, and is there anything more to this other than the myth and the legend? There is no way to really know, but there is reason to be sceptical. There are a few problems with the tales spun about Mother Shipton and her vast powers. The main one is that there is practically no evidence at all that she really existed during her supposed lifetime. 
The first mention of Mother Shipton, her life and her actual powers and prophecies was published in 1641, a full 80 years after her supposed death. And the earliest known possible mention of her was in a 1537 letter from King Henry VIII to the Duke of Norfolk, in which he mentions a Witch of York. However, there are no accounts of her life from the 15th and 16th centuries, no tales of her deeds during the time she was said to have been alive, and she herself never wrote anything down or published anything as far as anyone knows. This all means that there is a possibility that Mother Shipton and her exploits were either fabricated in later decades, or at least could have been based on a real person but highly exaggerated over time. In the end, there is only the word of texts beginning from long after her reported death and no evidence at all that she really ever was an actual person. There is also the fact that in many, many subsequent publications on Mother Shipton, certain details are changed, prophecies are added, and in several cases there have been complete forgeries thrown into these collections, making it hard to know where reality and fiction begin and end. Even if she was real... Her alleged prophecies are so convoluted and cryptic, filled with symbolism and metaphors, that it is easy to read things into them after the fact. Nevertheless, the tale of Mother Shipton has been published again and again, and has been a feature of literature and stage. And the cave where she supposedly was born is one of the oldest and most popular tourist destinations in England. The water within one spring in the cave even has such a high mineral content that it actually does turn things to stone over time, giving some credence to the legends. And one can try out the wishing well too. There is even a gift shop and guided tours, but it does little to answer the question of who Mother Shipton really was, or if she was even real in any sense. She has gone on to be a very prevalent presence in fiction and legend, but how much of this is true and what was she really capable of? In the end, it is probably hopelessly lost to the mists of time, but it is an intriguing look into mysterious history and a fascinating figure and an oddity that may never fully be solved. Before we get to looking at some of her actual prophecies, man, people were cruel in the 15th century. Like, imagine you have a baby that's just not the best looking baby, or maybe it has some sort of disability or like, I don't know, Maybe it has born with some sort of deformity, whatever. You you have that baby. You already have the indignity of having to live in a cave. You have this baby. The baby doesn't look like the other babies in the village. And everybody's like, oh, oh, did you have sex with the devil? What's going on with your baby? You just be like, oh, I mean, no, but thanks. And there's a couple of things about this story that made me raise my eyebrows. The first thing was about her being bullied at school. And I'm pretty sure in the 15th century, like in the 1400s, I'm pretty sure young girls didn't go to school, especially young girls that were like living in caves. Come on. Now, I could be wrong about that. I have looked it up and it seems like girls didn't regularly go to school until the 1800s. But, you know, who am I to say I'm not a historian? And I think that if it is true that girls in the 1400s generally weren't going to school, particularly girls who were peasants, I think maybe the bits about her being bullied in school were probably added later to the story in order to set a context that a modern audience or a contemporary audience would understand. I also feel like props to her if she did 
catch a man's neck in a toilet seat, but I'm pretty sure peasants weren't using toilet seats in the 1400s, to be honest. Toilet seats themselves were actually a pretty early invention, but I think they were only used by people who could afford luxuries. I will say that looking at this story um, has caused me to look up the history of the toilet and the toilet seat. It's actually very interesting, so I would recommend. But again, that point feels like something that has been added kind of later (laughs) in order to make the story appeal to a contemporary audience. Also, how harsh is it that it's like she married this guy called Tony Shipton, who was a local carpenter. The only way it could have happened was if she cast a spell on him because she was that ugly. No one could love her. Like, come on. For all we know, she had a wicked personality and was great crack. I mean, in one account, it says that she was known locally as Hag Face. So to be honest, if that was the case, I would be casting spells on all the local people and pinching all the children and snapping people's necks in toilet seats. Because if you're going to be giving her the nickname Hag Face, it's a bit harsh. And what always frustrates me about these stories, and we spoke about it with the Pendle Witch trials as well, is that these women who are maligned, they're off in the forest, you know, creating concoctions that can heal people, understanding nature, etc., but the local people are still relying on them for their medicine and then, you know, simultaneously calling them hag face and being like, well, your mum must have had sex with the devil in order to produce you. It just seems pretty ungrateful of the local people, to be honest. But let's have a look at some of her actual prophecies. So prophecy number one that I found goes, what is built in the day shall fall in the night till the highest stone in the church be the lowest stone of the bridge. Which is said to be a prophecy that told of the destruction of a local church in a storm. I mean, it's pretty vague. And I get the distinct impression that if Mother Shipton was real, she was making some coin by making vague statements that sounded cool and hoping that something like that might happen in the future. Another famous prophecy that she made goes, when the cow doth ride the bull then priest beware the skull, which is said to be a prophecy of Henry VIII's marriage to Anne Boleyn, the break with the Catholic Church and the dissolution of the monasteries. I'm not sure if I get all of that from when the cow doth ride the bull. I may be wrong, but I feel like she might have just said some words that sounded cool. (laughs) And then something that people ascribed that meaning to happened in the future. When people said she prophesied the rise of Elizabeth I, that prophecy is, a maiden queen shall reign anon. And I mean, you're living in a country that has a monarchy that you would imagine would continue for a long time. And even with someone with little to no education might be able to go, oh, I'd imagine that uh, a maiden queen might rise to the throne at one point, maybe. And there are others that seem to be more specific. So one that she gives is the Western monarch's wooden horses shall be destroyed by the Drake's forces. And that's believed to be the destruction of the Spanish Armada by Sir Francis Drake. I mean, that's not bad because it literally says Drake's forces. The only problem with these prophecies is that we don't know which were really ascribed to her and which have been added later, which are hoaxes, which are not real. It's really difficult to know. And really famously, so Samuel Pepys, who has the really famous diary that describes the Great Fire of London, he wrote in his diary 
quote, Shipton's prophecy was out when she talked about a great fire or a great calamity that would come against London. And what's really interesting is that an academic called Dr. Ed Simon studied the works of Mother Shipton and how her prophecies or alleged prophecies were used. And he said, and I quote, pamphleteers during the years of the English Civil War took ample opportunity to enlist Mother Shipton as a convenient authority in propagandistic causes, both parliamentarian and royalist. So these people were casting an eye to Mother Shipton's prophecies and trying to use them for their own gain in works of propaganda. And of course they were. It makes perfect sense. You've got this famous woman, this sort of female Nostradamus who made all these prophecies and you can say these prophecies came true and you can say she's she's prophesied all of these things and then you can say, well, look at the prophecies she made about the Civil War and who's going to win. And for a lot of people, that might be enough to persuade them to either take a side or to switch sides. And here's the thing. Although I suspect that Mother Shipton may not be real, If she was real, I really like the idea that this woman came from the most unlikely of stories. She's born in a cave. She's so hideous that people think her dad is the devil and everyone's like screaming every time they see her face and and nicknaming her hag face or whatever. She goes on to get married. She goes on to be a healer in the community and she goes on to be a famous prophecy maker. I mean, good on her because that's pretty impressive. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Real Life Ghost Stories, another episode that's kind of more folklore based, but I'm trying to work through my list of topic suggestions that have been sent in by listeners over the last year or so. So that's two off the list, Baba Yaga and Mother Shipton. I hope that you enjoyed these stories and just remember next week's main episode is going to be a mini episode because I am doing theatre stuff all week. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and if you are desperate for some extra spooky content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories where for five dollars a month or two dollars a month you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free and on that note i shall see you next time planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.